You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time it is. And welcome to another episode of The Worship Review. My name is Colin. I'm a history professor, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and friend, Tyler. Hello. And that is Tyler. We are a couple of Joes who uh, used to lead worship in evangelical-ish churches of various sorts, and we now spend our spare time charitably and critically analyzing the texts of songs that are sung in Christian churches in the hopes that it will provide a benefit for pastors, worship leaders, people that are just in a congregation singing songs. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and that you pass on these podcasts to people that you know so that it can help them as well. Today we're going to be continuing a mini-series on Christ, excuse me, on Christmas music. We tend to look at Christmas and Advent songs when we get to this time of the year. And today we have got a good one or certainly an old one, Savior of the Nations Come. Would we say that this is by Martin Luther, Tyler, or is this already a, a, a questionable? <laughs> uh, you could statement. attribute it to three different people. You, ha- you could attribute it to Luther. You could attribute it to William M. Reynolds, a minister and professor who translated it. Or you could attribute it to St. Ambrose of Milan, who wrote the text on which Luther's text is based. So it's... Uh, it's not quite easy to attribute authorship. If you go by just the earliest, then this is from St. Ambrose. All right. So whoever exactly gets the credit for this, it is a song that is sung in numerous Christian churches, numerous denominations. And we're going to take a look at it line by line, stanza by stanza. But before we do that, Tyler, can you tell us just a little bit as to what the song is generally about? Yeah. So this is... Uh this is a kind of prototypical advent song it's calling upon jesus to come and it is it is really inviting us to marvel at the virgin birth and also the dual nature of christ uh which uh, something that featured very heavily in ambrose's time because he's dealing with um, arians uh who who deny the the equality of god the father and god the son and um, it is, it really depicts Christ's, Christ's path and Christ's journey, uh, from heaven to, uh, earth and through this virgin birth and, uh, being rejected by the world and yet returning back to the father. Uh, it's, it invites us to sing laud and honor and praise to him as he vanquishes his foes. And then at the end, we sing praise to all three uh, persons of the Trinity forever and eternally. All right, Tyler, you've got my expectations very high already for this song. Let's see how it (laughs) measures up as we go through each part of it. So we start off with... Sing. 
Savior of the nations, come. Virgin Son, make here your home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. Yeah. So uh, it, it opens with this imperative verb, come. And Savior of the nations is probably best interpreted as a kind of vocative noun phrase. So uh, uh, speaking directly to this Savior, crying out to Emmanuel, like in Okum Emmanuel, come. Uh, and he's called Savior of the Nations. And this is interesting. Um, the nations here, if if we go back to um, Luther's text, it's much clearer what the nations are. Because um, Luther says, Nun komm der Heiden Heiland. So now come uh, Savior of the Heathen. And uh, Heiden, nations, and heathen, uh, these are all words that in Ambrose's text is Gentes, so peoples um, or or nations, and also nations is also where we get the phrase goyim in in um, in Hebrew. So um, this is not talking about merely nation states as we have them today. It's talking about all the peoples of Earth being saved by this Savior, who originally was only uh, the Messiah. The scope of the Messiah, according to the Jews, originally was saving the jews and so so, so tyler's is saying come come all ye different peoples of the earth is that kind of the idea i think i think it's saying um come savior of all of the different peoples of the yeah earth. okay yeah um which can i just say this is a more common way of thinking about nations prior to about the I don't know, 18th and 19th century, just the, the idea of the nation state didn't exist. Now, why is this important? I'm not just um, showing off when I say this. There are biblical passages that refer to the nations. And the way that we tend to interpret those in a modern context is this is just referring to everybody. Um, but that that is not what this always, that's not what this idea of nations means. It's It's referring to peoples. Right, it, it, groups of people. It just would affect the way that we understand passages like uh, John three sixteen, for example, very famous passages which we just read in a kind of universalist way. Um, but that that's not necessarily the meaning that we have for nations when we're thinking about anything that's written before again, kind of the eighteen hundreds, mid seventeen hundreds thereabouts. Yeah, and I, I think you're you're picking at something really interesting there where the the world in many christian circles seems to be divided um between christians and non-christians and then when we talk about the chosen people of god uh, the world is divided into jews and non-jews and you're you're pointing at something um per particularly interesting there because the the category of nations is a lot more heterogeneous than merely not x now of course according to the covenants what's important is that you know you are either in the covenant or out of the covenant but uh what's meant yeah what's meant by the nations is a bunch of very very different groups um originally these groups all had very different uh different gods themselves or believed in different gods i should say and um christ came to save men and women and children from uh every tribe and tongue and nation. And yep. so that's what's kind of pointed to here. There's this paradox, maybe even an maybe even an oxymoron in the second line, virgin's son. Uh, this is the only 
This is the only man of whom that can ever be said or will yeah. ever be said. Virgin son, make here your home, make, make your home here on earth among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think that is what is, is meant here. Um, he made his home. He dwelt here on earth with us. Now marvel heaven and earth marvel at this. I like this, that it's, it, it actually isn't just the shepherds who are marveling um, in the fields. It's not just men on earth marveling, but even angels can marvel that God chose such a birth for this savior. A virgin birth. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I like that this asks us to marvel right away that the author just says virgin son, right? Which is an oxymoron. It's something strange or maybe even uncomfortable, but the direction that we're given is to actually marvel at it. Like don't find this, don't find this strange don't find this weird. This is actually something marvelous about God. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe it is strange. It is, it is definitely unorthodox. It is definitely unpredicted, uh, unpredictable by our standards and yet this is what god ordained this is what god chose for himself and so he can be praised all right the next set of lines not by human flesh and blood by the spirit of our god was the word of god made flesh Woman's offspring, pure and fresh. Not by human flesh and blood, by the Spirit of our God, was the Word of God made flesh, woman's offspring, pure and fresh. Pure and fresh, Tyler. That uh, That is a little bit odd. I'm very curious does, if you have some help for us in the German. It sounds like a Coca-Cola advertisement, yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, so, uh, let me get to that in a second. Um, we just ended verse one, uh, that the Lord chose such a birth. And then we have an explanation of that birth. That is a birth not brought about by flesh or blood. Um, those, are, th those are actually straight from uh, Luther's text, nicht von mans Blut noch von Fleisch, so not from man's blood nor from flesh. And the translator chose human for man. I think that's fine. Um, however, in the second half of that verse, we have vibe. In, in Luther's text, which is exclusively for women. And so I wonder if it would be not by man's flesh and blood and specifically pointing to uh, the male um, gene, especially because the, not the male gene, but um, XY chromosomes, because Ambrose, his verse says, non ex virili semine. So not out of yeah. the seed of man um <laughs> and even that's still a little bit of a kid glove translation right we know exactly what that's meant to mean yes in, in any event it is um very clear that jesus's birth was wrought by the holy spirit um right. and not by the uh the flesh and blood of man and the word of god was made flesh i mean that was that was john one uh, but can I just stop? Can I just stop three. you there, Tyler? Isn't that again yet another clever way of making contradictions? So we have virgin son in the first stanza, and now we have um, not by human flesh and blood, by the Spirit of God was the Word of God made flesh. Mm. So we have 
flesh did not create God, but nevertheless, the word of God was made flesh. It's a nice little, yeah, just a, just a, an interesting way of turning words. Yeah, it is interesting because there is there is really no other flesh. There is no other carbon-based life form that was not begotten uh, by another carbon-based life form, if that makes sense. Like yeah, all like, other humans are humans because they had human parents. They have flesh because their parents had flesh. They even resemble the flesh of their parents in a lot of ways. And this is saying this man was and is God, and yet was made flesh without the use of the normal means by which flesh is produced. Yeah. Woman's offspring, um, pure and fresh. Now, I wonder if this, this, uh, this woman's offspring is another, it's, it's pointing to another interesting paradox of, um, of the text where in, in genealogies, in the Bible, uh, offspring are counted according to their fathers and listed according to who their father was and their grandfather was. And yet here, um, there is no human father to attribute Jesus's birth to. Um, he is the offspring of woman. And then pure and fresh. Uh, this is just a little bit awkward in, in English. Uh, I think it was a little awkward even in Luther's time because of the way he described it. Um, but yeah, Christ as an infant was pure. He was undefiled by sin uh, and he was fresh. He was brand new. Uh, <laughs> so that's what but, it means. It means new. Yeah, I think so. Because in, in German, the text is um, und blüht ein Frucht weibes Fleisch and blossoms or blooms a fruit of the flesh or body of the woman. Okay. So that's the fruit or that this um this blossom is fresh and new uh so i think that's what's meant there um, okay so fresh is as in because the german we've got this idea of blossoming or fruit fruitfulness or something so the yes. idea of fresh is associated with that yes it just it, it is super awkward i think in english yeah. uh but it's not wrong it's just a little clunky. No, it's weird. Okay. There were there are a few of those that I could talk about Reynolds's translation that th it felt like he was being a little bit odd. Um, so like, for example, the word of God was made flesh. Now, of course, that reminds of John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm -hmm. um, in, in German, the Luther has is Gottes Wort ist worden Mensch. God's word um, became man or human uh you can't say flesh uh but you're you're stretching it there especially because um none of the other two times in which oh only one of the other two times in which luther said fleisch was it translated as flesh it it, it works it's just a yeah. little weird he probably was sort of like how do i do this i'm sure he was trying to figure out how to get a rhyme out of this <laughs> set of german words it's kind of like participating in a game of telephone that's been going on for 1,600 years, right? <laughs> yeah. You've got Ambrose through whoever, 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 then to Luther, you know, and then you've got Luther to this dude, and now we're playing the game of telephone as well. And what a game it is. Indeed. Still to be in heaven 
wondrous birth, O wondrous child of the virgin undefiled, though by all the world disowned, still to be in heaven enthroned. All right, Tyler, what's going on here? Well, this birth and this child are wondrous. And uh, what does it mean to be wondrous? It is something to be wondered at, something to be marveled at, something to be astonished by. And truly, this birth of a virgin uh, was something and is something to be marveled at, uh, this, this incredible miracle of God uh, that Jesus was born of a virgin. This child is wondrous uh, because not only was he born of a virgin, but uh, he is, as a man, yet consubstantial with God the Father. He is a man and God on earth, which is a very wondrous thing to be. Uh, born of the virgin undefiled. I think undefiled is referring to Mary never having relations with the man. And here's the reason why I think that. In, in German, the text says, um, der Jungfrauenleib schwanger ward, the body or the, um, yeah, the body of the woman became pregnant, doch blieb Keuschheit rein bewahrt. The chastity or purity remained protected. And so I think that this is referring to her relations with men. Uh, she was undefiled in that sense. However, I think the, 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 those who want to uh, really venerate Mary among us, maybe, the, um, maybe the, the Roman Catholic listeners, might read more into that text than I think is oh, there. Yeah. Um, because uh, the, my understanding of the Roman Catholic position is that, that Mary was unstained also by original sin. There are some, there's some weighty doctrine, doctrine in this part of the song. We've got the issue that was being debated around Ambrosius's time, which is, yeah, was Mary perpetually a virgin? That was a, a really serious concern. We could go deep into Luther's Mariology, Ambrose's Mariology, and try and piece it together. Um, but what matters is that this text does not um, really give us much on that. It just says, of the virgin undefiled. And yeah, I think that is simply referring to the fact that she um, was a virgin at the time that Jesus was born. Although, Tyler, it is interesting that this topic does come up again and again in the song. It's it's brought up over and over. It does seem to be a kind of uh, strong, like, second agenda in the song or a strong... Uh, yeah, there's just this thread of really emphasizing the virgin birth. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but it does seem to be does seem to be important in the song. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's not clear whether it's it's important to uh it in order to shape our understanding of Mary, I think that's probably not what's going sure. on. Sure. It seems like it's important in order to shape our our marvel at what God has done. I think so. Yeah, Christ. I think so too. Yeah, you're right. And Christ it says here was disowned by all the world and I think we can we can um Give that the, the worship review stamp of approval, uh, yep. not the disowning, but this, this text, it, it is certainly yep. true. Um, he was rejected. He was despised by men. He was, uh, he was not even renowned uh, when preaching the truth and when performing miracles. And uh, he was disowned by all the world. And yet, nonetheless, he was to be enthroned in heaven, seated at yes. the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
Yes, and lest, lest any uh, listeners doubt the extent of our pretentiousness, we did just give the stamp of approval to Martin Luther. We, so we, <laughs> we have decided, we too, uh, dudes who have led worship a few times, have decided that Martin Luther is okay. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> just okay. Yeah. Just okay. Well, it's just like the what's that song? Jesus is just all right with me. Do 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 do. Well, I think I've made clear uh, on a few occasions. Without Luther, it is hard to conceive of Western civilization in the past yeah. five hundred years. Sure. So, I mean, it's like would the Enlightenment have even happened uh, yeah. had Luther not done what he did? Um, but at the same time, he was not a very gracious man either. No. And no, he, he had lots of problems. That guy had some and some pretty bonkers ideas about some things too. So we yeah. we need not make him a saint. From the Father's throne he came and ascended to the same captive leading death and hell. I the soul of triumphs from the Father's throne he came and ascended to the same, captive leading death and hell, high the song of triumph swell. Oh, man. This is nice. Oh, this, I love this verse so much. I love this verse so much. Where we have, uh, in the beginning, Christ with God the Father um, in heaven. He came from the Father's throne to earth. He was crucified. He died. We have to infer some of these middle steps, but we, we don't get the points, all the points on the journey, but we get the vectors of the travel. And so we have him coming from the father's throne and then we have him ascending. So that implies the descent as well to the father's throne, leading death and hell captive. Christ is the firstborn of the dead and he has completely crushed the head of the serpent and he uh has he he has completely vanquished his foes he is the the victor in this in this conquest and i like how this is treated in this in this version actually in this translation i think it's better than even in um luther's version and i'll explain why but then it ends with the verb is at the end but high the song of triumph swell let the song of triumph just grow and and swell like a balloon filling with water um until you just can't help it burst forth why do i say i like this better than luther's version um luther's version is similar and and uh, i could talk about ambrose's later but his uh luther's version is his his path or journey came from the father and returns back to the father he went down into hell and returned to the uh, throne of god and i think we've talked about this on the podcast before colin uh the the um the the period in between christ's death and his resurrection yeah where scripture is rather um scripture does not give us a firm foothold on what yeah. has happened in that time. Uh, and a lot has been made of that time in certain theological traditions where uh, Christ descended into hell and he, he harrowed hell. He, he freed captive uh, people who were there. 
in hell. And I just think where scripture is silent on something, it's probably best for us not to speculate uh, too much. And so I like this referring in this, in this version by Reynolds, this translation, that he leads hell and death captive. That's perfectly scriptural. So I, I like that better. Just in English, though, from the Father's throne he came and ascended to the same captive leading death and hell. That that third line, though, I mean, can you parse out just exactly like what is captive, who is leading? Oh, sure. Sure, 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 sure. You ask about this uh, captive leading death and hell. I, I would interpret here um, leading as being a participle of a verb. So it is describing uh, what Jesus is doing, leading death. These are death and hell are the objects of this verb. Um, death and hell, I think, being a reference actually back to Revelation chapter one, um, where Jesus says in verse 18, uh, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. And so, uh, Jesus Christ vanquished his enemies, and he now has the keys. He, uh, they are his captives. They are his slaves. They are his uh, to do with as he pleases, death and hell. So um, he, he conquers death, and he conquers hell, and he leads them as captives. Um, I don't think that this is saying that death and hell followed him up back into heaven or something uh -huh. like that but rather that they were they were conquered and i think we can look at ephesians chapter four here as well um i'll just read verses eight and um eight through ten this is why it says when he ascended on high he took many captives and gave gifts to his people And that, that is from a Psalm 68, that quotation. Mm -hmm. uh, re going back to Ephesians 4, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So uh, he, Christ, descended from heaven to the lower earthly regions, uh, and I think this is also where a lot of people um, get uh, they 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 are willing to interpret this very liberally, lower earthly regions, and they interpret more than simply the earth. Um, he died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead again, and he led death and hell captive as he. Uh, ascended from the dead. That's what I think is going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So we, we look at our victor, we look at our king, we look at our lord, and we swell the song of triumph high. We are just filled with... I, I, if you've ever watched your favorite sports team play sports ball, and they do it so well that they're just crushing their opponents, there's something that you just feel thrilled at, and I think this is happening to the nth degree here.
Praise to God the Father sing, praise to God the Son our King, praise to God the Spirit be ever and eternally. Tyler, we have the Trinity, yes. something we rarely see in contemporary <laughs> Christian music. It's beautiful. We have all this work, all this talk about the work of God, and then we sing praise to the three persons of the Trinity at the end here. And I think this is this has to be interpreted as um, uh, Ambrose deliberately choosing to have a kind of Trinitarian benediction at the end. Uh, in his time where many, many people, prominent people, powerful people, even bishops were uh, rejecting the, uh, the Trinity. So very good here. Uh, we sing praise to God, Father. They're, they're also listed in their sequential order, according to which they're, they're always listed, uh, the persons of the Trinity, um, one proceeding from the other. So we sing praise to God, the Father. We sing praise to God, the Son, our King. Uh, our King Jesus Christ, and we sing praise to God, the Spirit, uh, forever and eternally, forever and ever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. So, I very, very, very good and very clear. These five verses alone are very strong. There's a lot. There's a lot more uh, in in Luther's text and in um, mm -hmm. in Ambrose's text that we could talk about too. But just on the basis of these five verses, I think. This is just a uh, just a very good song to sing to God during Advent. Yeah, so those are that sounds like your concluding thoughts. I, mine are pretty similar. I, and Tyler, I had not uh, really heard this song before, so I wonder where you ran into it, or are there churches that you've been in that sung it? Or I just remember I stumbled across it at some point, either in English or in German, and I was like, wow. This text is really strong. This is like this. This is a real, really, really, really distilled, theologically rich song to sing to Christ at Advent. That really, it it makes a lot of the Advent songs kind of look weak. I like it too. I mean, my only slight objection is I find the third or fourth line of the of the second stanza a bit weird. This idea of woman's pure offspring, fresh. pure and fresh, is just yeah. slightly strange. But I, I don't think that has to really factor in that much it's just a slightly awkward bit of wording the rest of it is great really is good tyler what'd you give the song for a rating yeah so i'm gonna give it uh five out of five anti-arian sentiments <laughs> because uh the text is so uh from from ambrose and then it, just that anti-arianism seems to have and i shouldn't say anti-arianism because that frames it in a negative light but the, the trinitarianism is so clear in this song and it yeah. remains that you know 1500 years after it was written plus so yeah, yeah that's what i would Kay. give it five out of five anti-arian sentiments how about you colin all right i'm giving it five out of five krogers and uh because the kroger commercials that are on these days all talk about fresh and things being fresh <laughs> and i just it was the first thing i thought of when that word fresh came up so. Wasn't there? A, there's like a rap song in the '90s that had the refrain "so fresh and so clean." Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you want to hear uh, what the uh, German would have sounded like and what I um, think the Latin would have sounded like? Yeah, why not? All right, here's and just an extemporaneous uh, translation of Luther's version. Now come, redeemer of the heathen. 
chosen child of the virgin that all the world should wonder that God has ordained such a birth for him, not of the blood of man, nor of flesh alone from the Holy spirit is God's word made man and a fruit of the flesh of woman blossoms. The body of the woman became pregnant, yet the chastity remained purely protected. Many a virtue shone forth. Indeed, God was there in his throne. He went out of his chamber, the pure royal hall, God by nature and um, a hero man. Um, he, he went forth to hurry to his, to run his course. His journey came from the father and returns to the father, went uh, down into the hell and back to the throne of God. You who are equal with the father accomplish the, or, or complete the victory in the flesh so that your eternal God power may receive our sick flesh. Your, your crib shines bright and clear. The night gives a new light. The darkness may not come in. The faith remains forever in the light. God, uh, the Father, be praised. God, his only Son, be praised. God, the Holy Ghost, be praised forever and into eternity. So you can see it, it seems like some of the verses have been dropped, and I think they it's good that they were because they weren't the greatest. The one about his crib is is just odd, I think. It's just odd. And then Ambrose's text is really, really similar. Um, come redeem. This is a translation, a very literal translation that I found on the Coral Wiki. So uh, there are different translations on there. But come redeemer of the peoples and show the birth from a virgin. Every age shall acclaim that such a birth befits God. Not out of human seed, but out of godly breath, the word of God is made flesh and the fruit of the womb flourishes. The virgin womb became pregnant, yet remained a bastion of chastity. The standards of virtue shine there, and God dwells in such a temple. Let him come from his chamber, which is the kingly dwelling of chastity, a giant of twofold substance, intent on fulfilling his destiny. He comes from the Father, and to the Father he returns. His path goes all the way to the infernal regions and returns to God's seat. You who are an equal to the eternal Father, wear the girdle of flesh and invigorate the weakness of our body by your eternal virtue your cradle shines already and the night breathes a new light for no night shall intervene and endless faith shall glow to you christ most pious and to the father be glory with the spirit paraclete throughout all ages amen you can you kind of see how the you, you can see how it how it evolved stayed the same and how it changed a little bit too yes it is interesting what was kept it seems like the the, the what was kept really was the gold of this song um yeah. and what was not kept was it was okay but i mean i maybe maybe it's because it's a trope that i'm tired of it but i am kind of tired of talking about the cradle it's nice to, to me i guess my opinion is that it's nice that 
the cradle is omitted from this final version. Well, listeners, uh, happy Advent and everything, and uh, sing this song if you're if if like Colin, you're not familiar with this song. Listen to it. the The melody is really good and um, encouraging, and there are. I am aware of few songs which are better to sing at Advent than this one. Nicely put. Listeners, thanks for listening to another episode of the Worship Review. We covet your listenership, if we could say so. And we ask that you... Thou shalt not call in. Okay, fine. We, We are grateful. We're grateful for your listenership. And we invite you to share the good gift of this podcast with your friends and others. Uh, and we hope that you will also consider tweeting at us on the Twitter. We hope that you will also send us your Bitcoin if you have them, anchor.fm slash the worship review. You can send us a small donation to keep the servers cold. I'm trying to think of, oh, feedback. There's an email address, feedback at the worship review that you can send your comments to. We will eventually talk about those comments about, I don't know, every 20 or 30 episodes or so we go through listener feedback. We'll do that again in about that amount of time. Anyway, thanks for listening. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.